Welcome to Difference Makers, where we bring you profound and enlightening conversations with remarkable people who make a difference through innovative and inspiring charity work. On this podcast, you'll hear the incredible stories of real-life Difference Makers, learn about the worthy causes and charities they support, and discover how charity work changes lives for the better. 40% of schools around the world don't have access to a bar of soap, and we are here to change that. I'm Aldis Harris, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with founder and executive director of Eco Soap Bank, Samir Lakani, who's making a difference by saving, sanitizing, and supplying recycled hotel soap for the developing world. Well, good morning, Samir. Welcome to Difference Makers. So thankful that you could be here with us today. And um, really excited to hear about Eco Soap Bank and have you share all the great work you've been doing with our community. Good morning, sir. Thank you for making the difference and uh, highlighting various projects around the world. Well, thank you. And you know, I've done a bit of charity work myself and it really it changed my life. And it opened my eyes, and I am so excited to help share the great stories and the message that other people have to share for their amazing charity work. And I learned about you a few years ago through the award you won, and I think uh, you won several awards, but the one that caught my eye was a CNN award. And we'll, I'd, love, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that as we get further into the podcast, but... To get started, would you kind of give us just the basics about Eco Soap Bank, how you got started in that, who it benefits, and how it works? My pleasure. I, now I kind of understand how a parent must feel when talking about their children. There's so much to say, but the nuts and bolts is that uh, Eco Soap Bank is a proud nonprofit organization that has a very simple mission, and that is to employ disadvantaged women all across the world to recycle leftover soap and redistribute it to children in schools in need with hygiene education such that we can teach children how to wash their hands for life and not just redistribute a product and walk away. In the last six years or so, We have been able to employ 150 women in 16 countries around the world. And these women work with us full time and they are soap makers making a product that would otherwise go to landfill and giving it to vulnerable communities and schools in order to save lives, even more punctuated now given the current pandemic uh, for obvious reasons. We're very proud to say that in the last five, six years, we've reached over 3.5 million children with soap, but also relevant education as well. And uh, to be perfectly honest, our work is just starting. Uh, That is just the tip of the iceberg. It's interesting because when I first learned about what you're doing, I saw, you know, primarily I was learning about one aspect of it, but Mm. it sounds like there's three aspects or this is multifaceted. It's the environmental impact. It improves health and creates employment. Is that right? You must be an engineer uh, (laughs) in a a past life, perhaps. Maybe in a past life. (laughs) Not in this one. (laughs) 
that's how I that's how I normally segment the work, if you will. Yes, there are three very, very firm columns to the work. Obviously, each column has their own nuance. But just to reemphasize, you have an obvious environmental column, which is massive amounts of soap waste, either from hotels or from factories directly. Um, that was normally just going directly into landfills, causing carbon footprints, et cetera, et cetera. The second column is perhaps the most compelling in my view, which is we take a waste product and we transform it into jobs for women. And not just any sort of labor jobs, but gainful employment where we can actually express to women your efforts are saving lives in your community. You don't have to just worry about survival anymore and feeding your family. We are going to invest in you now and over the next however so uh, years. That is the second column. And the third column, obviously, is the most easy to digest, which is providing soap to children who don't have access to it. And this is not an esoteric need. Um, UNICEF just released a report which said that 40% of the world's schools, not just the developing world, but the entire world's schools, don't have appropriate soap and hand-washing facilities. And that's totally unacceptable in the COVID pandemic. But it also extends past the school settings. In a country like Liberia, where we work extensively, a recent study showed that only 1% of households have access to a bar of soap. And we're seeking to change that. Let's unpack a little bit about this multifaceted approach. And I'm really curious about the sanitizing portion. So you're taking soap, you're recycling soap. I would never in a million years have thought soap could be recycled. So how, do, how does that work, that sanitizing piece, uh, taking a used bar of hotel soap and making it a viable product for people who otherwise would never have access to such things or in a limited, in a limited means have access? Of course, of course. So when the uh, pandemic started, our access to hotel soap was pretty negligible given that many people weren't really traveling very much. And so it led us to look elsewhere for supplies of uh, discarded soap. And what we discovered was insane volumes of soap being generated as natural byproducts from the industry and manufacturers themselves. What's nice about that particular product is that it's perfectly virgin. Um, so it's a, it's a brand new product. It just needs to be reprocessed into a form, a bar form, which can be redistributed to, to people in need. So that's the vast majority of our supply. It's actually virgin products, brand new products, kind of like the food industry where you have you know, just general food waste of perfectly usable goods. Uh, the hotel supply... Um, the sterilization is pretty uh, straightforward and pretty well trodden in terms of um, its efficacy. Uh, it includes a couple of sterilization steps, including heat, a chemical clean, a food-grade bleach, and then lastly, uh, a physical clean of all sort of contaminants through a very, very fine screen. 
So uh, it's a kind of a well-trodden practice. Uh, several other firms also use it, and it has been tested safe, which is good. Obviously, you don't want to be redistributing products that don't have consumer faith. It's interesting. I, I did see, I saw a couple of videos, and I guess they show, you know, or you guys show a little bit of the process, and it's really interesting. But I wanted, I wanted to hear it from you because, of course, the video is a great tool and it helps the viewer to visualize, but it's also nice to understand the process. And then you talk about these women um, and I, and I heard a term used by you or I read it on your website. Is, is it hygiene ambassador? That's right. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, hygiene ambassadors are a special title that we provide to women in remote villages where uh, that we cannot uh, directly employ to recycle soap. Obviously, as an employer in developing countries such as Tanzania and Cambodia, we want to make employment as equitable as possible to as many people wherever they are. And so in an interesting sort of solution, given their remoteness in faraway villages and communities, we wanted to transform them into advocates for change, um, going from door to door, spreading the gospel, if you will, of proper hygiene and sanitation. And so these women are provided with supplies of soap that we recycle, usually in metropolitan centers, as you can imagine. Um, and they go door to door, either distributing or selling soap at a subsidized price along with hygiene education. And here's the important piece. What would happen if you or I showed up in a rural community in Liberia or Cambodia and started talking about childhood diarrhea? What do you think would happen to us? First off, I don't think the people there would necessarily make the connection that lack of hygiene could be the cause. So they might think we're trying to give them false information or maybe even trying to take advantage of them in some way. You know, through my research on EcoSoap Bank and this topic, I was surprised to learn about the lack of hygiene knowledge in the world. And so I think they would be skeptical if we were to come in and start talking to them about this issue. I'd imagine there'd be a bit of resistance. Absolutely. Um, that's the key takeaway. We're talking about something sensitive here that maybe has not been readily adopted uh, in terms of health understanding or awareness. And therefore, it's vitally important to discuss sensitive topics from someone who looks like the person that they're helping or the person that they're trying to educate. So we've found that from mother to mother, these key hygiene messages are best imparted. Frankly, if you or I showed up and started talking about this thing, we would be shooed away pretty quickly. Okay, wow. I tell you, that was one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about is you guys focus on hygiene training. And when I first saw that, it blew my mind because I didn't realize that there was this such a great lack of understanding. At what point did you realize that there was? Did you, is this something that you were aware of? And then the hygiene ambassadors are one of your resources to help overcome that. But you probably also had to develop a training process to follow, resources for the hygiene ambassador to use. How, how did you approach all that? And 
how big of a piece is that for you guys? Now I know that you do have a uh, substantial nonprofit background from that question, <laughs> and that is the right question. Oftentimes, when we look at a charity's work, and it's no fault of them, everybody has short uh, attention spans, everyone is busy, there is nuance to everybody's work uh, in in the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. What we started to do, um, to answer your question, is that hygiene is not a um, rather complicated subject. And it's certainly not a recent discovery. And therefore, there are a ton of resources out there that have been locally generated in that country, in the country that we're working in, um, to provide relevant hygiene education and to, um, let's say, um, adhere to certain cultural norms as well. And so it was just a matter of taking those resources and u- utilizing them appropriately. However, as you can imagine, with every organization's growth plan, you need to utilize your strengths. Um, and our strength was actually in the manufacturing and collection of this sort of product side. And we figured out that there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of community-based organizations, uh, organizations that are locally led, locally run, serving their own communities. So instead of being traveling um, uh, hygiene, um, you know, uh, messengers, uh, it it has grown into a, a project where we seek to empower these existing infrastructures, these existing organizations with the soap that they need, provide hygiene education to the community that they've built a rapport with for the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Oh, I love that. So you're, you're partnering with other nonprofits around the world. That's right. Yeah. So in the very beginning, uh, we were pro- we were following every single bar of soap to the end user and providing relevant hygiene education. However, we realized that certain hard to reach areas, that's just not possible anymore. You know, in this pan- new pandemic world, we discovered that we need to partner. It doesn't make sense to duplicate efforts anymore, uh, given the certain direness of our situation. That makes perfect sense. Okay, now I'm really going to show my nonprofit experience. There you go. All right. How do you fund your work? Yes. EcoSoap Bank is primarily funded through individual donations by people who resonate with a certain column of our impact, whether that's the environmental side, uh, whether that's the women's empowerment aspect or the childhood health aspect as well. As, As you know, People resonate with more of the focus areas than others, uh, which is great. Furthermore, there is something very elegant and, and poetic about having all the columns work in harmony, which I think excites people. Oftentimes in nonprofit work, it is usually siloed to a particular type of impact, whether that's arts, whether that's healthcare, whether that's service organizations, etc. And I would really encourage organizations more broadly to think about the holistic footprint and the holistic impact of their work. And if they're discovering that their work is belonging to a certain silo, 
there's nothing wrong with uh, making certain changes or making certain additions to increase the value of their work. And so to answer your question more succinctly, a number of foundations and a number of individuals predominantly see the value of having their dollars be extended across multiple types of impact. And we hope to carry that message to as many more people as possible. That's great advice because most nonprofits focus on one specific area, but by having multiple areas of impact, it could really help generate support for the work and increase donations. Now, I did see that you all did a one-time fundraising campaign called The Power of Change, which Mm. looks like it was extremely successful. Can you explain a little bit about that? That was a one-time campaign, yes. Um, And the idea was to empower K-12 kids uh, to actually make a tangible impact uh, on kids just like them across the developing world by uh, investigating under their couch cushions for for loose change, if you will. Oh, I love that. And we were uh, sending relevant uh, results um, from their uh, school's uh, efforts on the schools they uh, assisted abroad um, and also a, a very simple letter exchange. As you know, that had to be suspended now, given the unpredictability of this year. Yeah, it's been a tough year for everybody, but I love how you your organization is navigating it. And you're facing this challenge, this new challenge that we're all facing, and you're you're working through it. You're overcoming your obstacles. And you're and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the founder and executive director. So I would imagine a lot of the vision is coming from you. Is that correct? Yes, that is the case. And I guess uh, the essence of your question is really what what is driving this? And uh, without being overly redundant, it is the three column, the three component uh, of the Im- components of the impact, which is compelling to me. But frankly, the most the the thing that is leading the charge, if you will, is the discovery of all this usable product out there around the world. Um, We're collecting soap from factories in Nepal, from factories in Tanzania and Sierra Leone, in Malaysia, in Vietnam, throughout North America with amazing, amazing partners. And the point is this. If we don't rise to the occasion more of this product will be discarded or it won't be utilized in a humanitarian sense. So in that sense, I really want to grow this work as much as possible because I know precisely what happens for every ton of product that we redirect and recycle. It translates into real safe gainful employment for women. And every single ton, I'll just give you an example. One ton of product is the equivalent of 10,000 bars of soap. We typically collect 2,000 tons of soap per year. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, So um, we have a moral, environmental, and economic, frankly, uh, prerogative to grow this work And it's not so much being driven by my vision, if you will. Um, It's being driven by external problems that we are seeing only exacerbated now, given the pandemic. Was there a moment for you? Was there one specific thing that inspired you? Or was it a series of things you observed or experienced? 
Uh, there was absolutely a moment. Uh, I was traveling through rural Cambodia five or six years ago, maybe six years ago now. And uh, I was there actually doing a climate change uh, research project through my university, uh, University of Pittsburgh. While I was there, I saw a village woman bathing her newborn child, but she was using laundry detergent. And I recall um, speaking with her with the help of a friend who, who spoke the local language. And she told me that soap was too expensive for her and that if her son fell sick from a preventable illness, um, it was likely because of karmic sins he had committed in a past life. Um, and you know, certain times in your life, you discover a whole world opening themselves to you. And in a split second, really, I discovered a very nuanced, very complicated problem very, very quickly. Um, happens to people all the time. And it was obvious to me that just providing soap at a cheap cost in the village and making it cheaper year in and year out wasn't going to instill the proper habits. We needed to do something more. We needed to do something a little bit more educational as well. So either you're an engineer in this life or you were an engineer in a past <laughs> life. <laughs> Which is it? <laughs> and as maybe a future life, hopefully. <laughs> so, so that experience, and, and that's heartbreaking to hear the story of this mother because you know that's not an isolated incident. And that's, I think, right. what, what makes it even sadder is this is going on in, in, in many countries around the world. Correct. So obviously you saw this problem. You saw that you could be part of the solution. And then how did you formulate the plan? Was that something that took place over a period of time or did you immediately see it? Um, oftentimes, you know, the, the old, um, in a cartoon, you see a light bulb go off. Did you know immediately how you could help or was that a process for you to develop? It actually uh, came very, very quickly. Um, so um, shortly after that village visit, I went back to my hotel room and I had been thinking on the car ride back how I'm going to fundraise to purchase a million bars of soap from China. That was basically the mental gymnastics that was occurring. And there was many aspects of that that did not excite me uh, or I felt were very relevant, um, not to mention the huge cost. But uh, going back to my hotel, I had noticed that my housekeeper threw away that bar of soap um, that I had barely touched. And this is a universal experience that all of us have witnessed. Maybe some of us have had a light bulb go off that uh, that indicated, you know, what happens to all this usable soap that I have barely used. But for me, it just so happened that the stars aligned whereby I had the lush environment of an experience which showed that I was hyper-focused on soap. And to have that further uh, enhanced by the discovery that there were mountains of soap right under my feet in the hotel industry was a very welcome solution. Um, and and basically, uh, from that point, I knew that we were going to recycle soap, that I was going to start recycling soap with the help of Cambodian partners and friends 
um, initially. And really, uh, to be honest, it just grew from its own momentum. Uh, we're now working in 16 countries and we're moving quite a bit of product. And if I could just spend a second talking about that too. Sure, um, yes. You know, uh, I receive often um, the question, how do you turn the idea into reality? Um, and how do you grow something from seed? And generally, I shy away from the non or the startup mantra. I certainly believe in moving quickly and breaking things, breaking <laughs> your own habits and ideologies and norms, mm -hmm. uh, certainly in a new world that we've experienced this year. But I really want to emphasize a certain particular nonprofit uh, principle, which is slow and steady, please. Uh, wake up every single day and chip away at your idea, at your process. Being in the nonprofit world, you know that moving quickly in certain settings is vitally important. But the point is not to grow your share value and exit here. The point is to create holistic communities 50 years from now, 100 years from now. And that requires a certain level of consistency and patience, which I want more nonprofit leaders, more, st more young people who want to start their own startup to adopt, that it's, so, it's not so much about moving quickly. It's about being there for the long haul. That's such a great point. You have to create something that's sustainable. And I've worked on a lot of different nonprofit campaigns over the years. And I think campaigns are fun and exciting, short-term campaigns. And there's a lot of value in them. As you mentioned, you, you guys did a fundraising campaign that was um, you know, over a period of time, but you knew it was just during that period of time. And I think, as I mentioned, a lot of great power in those types of things. But to create something that will last and have long-term sustainability. You have to work hard. You got to build a foundation. You got to be methodical. And you got to put in a lot of hard work day in and day out. And I think it's a really great message for people. I love your story. I tell you, it is so inspirational. You saw something and quickly identified a way to solve that problem. But you worked hard to create the solution. Mm. And, and I think that's really important for our listeners to know. You had a, a moment where, for lack of a better word, the light bulb went off. But the solution to the problem took time, hard work, patience. And you're still working at it each and every day. And that kind of – it takes me – I wanted to get back to this – is you're being recognized. And rightfully so. You've been – um, recognized as a CNN hero, Forbes 30 under 30. You were invited to do a TED Talk, did a great job, by the way. I listened to it the other day. Um, how has that been for you? And how has that benefited EcoSoap Bank? And how can, I guess, you use those accolades to help further your mission? It helps a lot. Having uh, large uh, outlets pick up your story and provide uh, accolades especially in the formative stages of a nonprofit's life, is really, really important. And it can really help amplify the mission, as it did with us. And, and let me give you a specific example. In the early stages of our work, and we still do that today, we quantify our impact uh, with a couple of metrics. 
How many tons of soap recycled? How many jobs are we providing to women? And how many children reached with relevant education? That is still the rubric today. However, sometimes organizations can be led into the trap, which is uh, press and publicity and promotion. And we're human. We all have egos. Uh, we can be drawn into chasing promotion. Um, and frankly, that is just one of competition. And that's really the only message I have is that no organization should be assessed by the level of their profile, but more so on the hard, both quantitative and qualitative metrics that they can provide to you, specifically knowing that your dollars go further with them and they proceed as transparently as possible too. That's a great message. Obviously, you have received well-deserved accolades and it's something to be proud of, but I love your message because a lot of nonprofits or most nonprofits never receive the recognition that they are due. A lot of people work for years and years and do tremendous work and change lives on a daily basis over a prolonged period of time. And for whatever reason, they just never get noticed. And we have to make sure that those people and those nonprofits know that their work is valued. And even though you may never get a news interview or any type of award for doing that work, it doesn't in any way diminish the lives they're impacting and the change they're making. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. So on on one hand, I'm so pleased that we received, um, and by the way, this was an astronomical level of recognition and press and and attention um, because it brought forth, uh, frankly, the importance of our work Uh, But on the other hand, you know, it it can be difficult because we work in such extensive partnership with so many organizations that, frankly, execute our mission. They, They utilize our SOAP and provide it to the end user. So you can feel both ways about it for sure. But that's that's kind of the point, you know, Um, in your work break down the silos and smooth over all turf wars. They should not exist, particularly when we're talking about helping people around the world. So how, you know, for me, as I mentioned, my work has been so beneficial to me. In a lot of ways, it's, it's changed my life for the better. How has your work benefited you? I like doing these um, conversations because... It forces me to reflect. Um, And by the way, you're an excellent, excellent interviewer. Um, Thank you. Oftentimes, um, you know, we get so wrapped up in uh, our teams and our impact, we forget to personally reflect. I always knew I would be doing this sort of work um, ever since I was uh, really, really young. I just didn't know exactly what the mission was or the model was specifically. But just to give you a little bit of backstory, my parents are from East Africa, uh, a region of the world we work extensively in. My mom is from Tanzania. My, my dad is from uh, Uganda. And so um, there has always been in my blood a certain responsibility to return and help those communities, which frankly have not been developing as rapidly as other countries uh, here in the West. 
it was a calling that was deep in my bones. The work itself has reminded me that people, I believe, are inherently good. And I see that with the women that we serve and we employ, they are doing things, they are driving the mission to new heights. And frankly, I don't do very much anymore. So to answer your question, um, it has restored my faith in the inherent goodwill of people. And that is evidenced every single day that I work. Is there a particular thing that EcoSoapBank has done or achieved that you are most proud of? Yeah. Um, I'm always drawn to Tirang's story. And I remember when we first employed her, she was so unbearably shy, she wouldn't look us in the eye. And she was very young. She was a secondary school dropout at the time. But six years later, she's running a soap recycling workshop with 16 other women, sorry, 19 other women. And she's moving tens of thousands of bars out the doors into local schools in need. It's just amazing to see her transformation and what a little investment and a little leap of faith can really do. If we were a for-profit organization, we would have never taken that chance or risk. And that just goes to our earlier discussion. People just need a platform. You know, people, people want to be a part of things like this. And if given the chance and if provided the proper training and support, they'll learn, they'll grow they'll contribute greatly. And as in the case of Tidong, as you just said, if they bring passion and determination to the work, they'll make a real impact and they'll excel. And, and what about you? What have you learned from your work? I would imagine each day in and of itself is an education, especially now with the pandemic and all the things you're navigating with the new challenges you face. But has there been anything in particular that you didn't know going into this that ended up being a great education for you? The extent of the problem. We have overlooked hygiene too much. Even in the West, only 5% of people utilizing bathrooms in the U.S. wash their hands correctly and for the requisite amount of time. I think, frankly, and not to be too harsh, we have believed that we are more sophisticated than very simple solutions. And so really, we need to raise the urgency of the work and use opportunities just like this to tell people that, you know, 40% of schools around the world don't have access to a bar of soap and that we are here to change that. And how can listeners support the amazing work you're doing? Thank you for asking that critical question. We currently have a fundraising campaign available both on our website and on our Facebook page. Our website is ecosoapbank.org, and we're trying to do something massive. We're trying to redirect enough soap supplies to 2 million more children next year, along with hygiene education. So we can not only provide soap, but teach children how to be healthy and happy for their lives. Long-term for EcoSoap Bank, what is your hope? And I know we see the progression of the organization. Where do you see yourself and where do you hope to be in 5, 10, 15 years? 
exactly in the same spot I am today. (laughs) (laughs) But older. (laughs) But older. No, so uh, all being facetious aside, um, this is, uh, we want every single bar of soap that is to be wasted to be recycled and redistributed to someone in need. Listen, there are hundreds of millions of children throughout sub-Saharan Africa that don't have access to a bar of soap. And this is not a vaccination project. This is not a one-time deal. This is a slow and steady impact that needs to be made day in and day out. So there is an element of truth to my point, which is We need to be in the exact same place and be ready to rise to the occasion to serve tens of millions of more children one day soon. That's wonderful. And do you have a parting message for our community? Please help us reverse the trends of poor hand hygiene, but also mentally, please recognize how lucky we are to have these resources at our fingertips. And if you are in a position, Help us provide those resources to more people around the world. Well, this is Difference Makers, and you, Samir, are a real difference maker. Thank you for sharing your incredible story with our community, and thank you for the inspiring work you do. My pleasure. On behalf of Difference Makers Global Community, I want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, visit differencemakers.org. There you'll find a dedicated page for each of our Difference Makers and a link to their charity's website, where you can learn more about their inspiring work and support the mission. And for our readers out there, I have two books that I wrote that I'd love for you to check out, Crossing America for a Cure and Running the Coast for a Cure. These books chronicle charity adventures I did in honor of my niece, Jenna, who was born with a rare neurological disorder called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Both books can be purchased on Amazon.com, and all profits from book sales are donated to Sturge Weber Research. Thanks again for listening, and remember, in each of us is the power to make a difference.